We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's November 23rd, 2021, as we are recording this episode a couple of days before Thanksgiving, and we'll share what we are thankful for in 2021 but the big news is the White Sox making their first splash this offseason signing reliever Kendall Graveman who the White Sox faced in the ALDS when he pitched for the Houston Astros this postseason first reported by John Heyman of Audacity Sports and MLB Network the deal is being reported for three years 24 million dollars pending Graveman passing a physical So the Chicago White Sox continue to invest in their bullpen and Craig Kimbrell is still on the White Sox roster. What does this all mean? What's next? Let's break it down. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis and hello, Jim. The White Sox made a move and it's Kendall Graveman. Was he on your radar of possibilities? Not yet. Uh, not because of the need or the fits. They did need to add probably you know some kind of credible reliever to the bullpen with all the players theoretically potentially exiting it. But I hadn't given thought to a guy like Graveman who had some, you know, uh, I guess a brief history closing games and might command a closer type salary or something close to it. So that's why he was on my radar, but it does make sense in terms of what he offers. And who is Kendall Graveman? For those that don't know or didn't get a chance to watch him last season, he's a power sinker, slider, reliever. The sinker's 96 to 97 miles per hour. He throws it about 60% of the time in his appearances. And then the second most used pitch is the slider. He does have a four-seam fastball that he sprinkles in from time to time. He was a former starter with the Oakland Athletics. Graven missed all of 2019, and he joined the Seattle Mariners in the shore in 2020 season, pitching out of the bullpen. He wasn't that great. He had an ERA of 5.79 in 11 games spanning 18 innings. 
And Graveman prior this season wasn't known as a strikeout pitcher. He was mostly a ground ball pitcher. That somewhat changed in 2021 when Graveman was with Seattle. He had a very similar season like Craig Kimbrell in 30 games covering 33 innings. Graveman had 10 saves and a 0.82 ERA with 34 strikeouts to eight walks. Now, before he got traded to the Houston Astros, which was a huge commotion within the Seattle Mariners clubhouse as players were really upset that they traded Graveman. Uh, Graveman missed significant time in May and June with Seattle as uh, he had to deal with the COVID protocols. He was stuck in San Diego for two weeks. I can imagine worse places to be quarantined uh, than San Diego, but he had to stay in San Diego for two weeks before he was cleared to rejoin the team as he was not vaccinated. Then he was traded to Houston where he wasn't the closer there. And in 23 games had a 3.13 ERA uh, in 23 innings, striking out 27. You put it together. Graveman for the season had a 1.77 ERA in 56 innings with 61 strikeouts and 20 walks. And how does he help the White Sox ground ball rate? We talked about this, Jim, in our Liam Hendricks podcast play review. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that episode, you can go back and listen to it. I posed a question when the White Sox signed Hendricks last offseason. I wonder if that signing meant a philosophical change in the types of pitchers the White Sox want in their bullpen. Premium velocity, a bigger focus on whiff rate, on strikeout rate. You mentioned the White Sox love their ground ballers, and boy, does Graveman fit into that category. And if the White Sox do trade Kimbrell, which we'll talk about that topic in a moment, uh, Graveman and Aaron Bummer are the primary setup guys handing the ball off to Liam Hendricks. So the question, now that we have a better idea of who Kendall Graveman is, is he necessary for the White Sox? I think he can be. Uh, I think the question right now and, and, and the reason why the response may be muted or um, the reception isn't as warm as it might be uh, in terms of a skill set. It's just Craig Kimbrell and his option, you know, being the elephant on the, on the payroll, basically. He's just there. The White Sox pretty much are going to move him. Rakan has said basically that he's going to trade him as much as he's ever going to say that he's going to up and trade somebody. So when it comes to the closer spot and the White Sox have invested, um, you know, what's, what's uh, Hendricks's uh, hit on the payroll this year, like 14 million. And then you have uh, Kimbrell at 16 million. And now you have, uh, you have Graveman at 8 million. Like it's just a lot of money right now for back end of the bullpen. And as we saw last year in the winter, when Liam Hendricks was the number one acquisition, uh, and then the trade deadline when Craig Kimbrell was the number one acquisition, like the White Sox have spent a lot of time and resources and energy addressing that position. And it's, you know, didn't really get them any kind of benefit when it came to the postseason. So I think, uh, you know, right now, just the string of acquisitions and where the White Sox have focused their energy, it's a little bit underwhelming to have yet another closer come into the fold. But when you step back and you think, okay, well, I trust that they'll get rid of Kimbrell somehow. And then you have, you know, Liam Hendricks and you have Aaron Bummer, and then you have kind of question marks. You know, Ryan Tapera, is he going to be back? Evan Marshall is gone. Michael Kopech is moving to the uh, rotation theoretically. So you have 
a void for proven, you know, trustworthy right-handed pitchers. So Graveman fits in there. It just feels like it's a bit out of order benefit or yeah, the maximum reception we would give this kind of move. So in another winter where Kimbrell's already off the roster, whether because the White Sox traded him or because they they were able to find a taker already and Graveman came after, I think it's probably a move where everybody's happier or less miffed or you know less inclined to joke that uh, Rick Hahn only acquires closers. Right? <laughs> it's, uh, given just the string of relievers the White Sox have acquired, it's uh you know it's hard to say otherwise right now even if chances are the White Sox are not not done and, and in this case you know, Graveman will not be the biggest move made. Yeah, and I tweeted this out and it's gotten a lot of reaction. My viewpoint on the signing itself is that it will look better when the White Sox or if the White Sox spend serious cash trying to resolve either second base or right field, or maybe both, depending if they're going to really blow out the player payroll. If they don't, and Kendall Graveman is the big signing this offseason, then I hate it. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the whole situation of signing Kendall Graveman now, I'm just describing to the theory that Graveman is ready to sign right now. He wants to sign before December 1st. He wants to sign. And the White Sox are interested. The White Sox made an offer because of that interest. And Graveman wants to pitch with the White Sox in 2022, in 2023, and 2024. And because Graveman is ready to sign on the dotted line, the White Sox are going to sign him now. And this conflicts with on how I just handle things in life. Uh, do you know the Eisenhower matrix? I don't, at least not by the name. Okay. So the Eisenhower matrix really sets it up in four, in four parts. And I did this when I was in sales and in project management. It, it just helps pri- prioritize what's important. And the things that are not important can, you know, go into the back burner. You know, the first thing is you, the the whole focus is do the things that are most important first. So you spend the most time and resources on what has the highest priority. If it doesn't have that level of priority yet, you can schedule things uh, later in the road or you can delegate them. And that's the thing I have a problem with, with other jobs that I do is delegation. Uh, And then there's the fourth section of you need to highlight the things that you don't do because they're not important and it, it helps not freaking out or stressing out the, the little things. Uh, Rick Hahn does not follow this model when it comes to the way he attacks the off season. I liken Rick Hahn when he is going about his off season activity as me shopping at the grocery store. I have a list of items that I need to purchase Is produce the most urgent items I need to buy? If you have seen photos of me or videos or have met me, you would say no. Vegetables and fruits are not high on Josh's grocery list as far as priority order. And with Thanksgiving coming up, for everyone that's going grocery shopping, if you don't have a turkey yet or ham, depending on what you prefer, that's the priority. You got to get the main course. Do we go straight to 
the turkeys and hams in the grocery store? No, because the first area that you usually enter in a grocery store is the produce area. And there, because you have produce items on your list, you're buying produce, even though it's not the most urgent thing on your grocery list that you have to focus on. For Rick Hahn, I think he is the grocery shopper, Jim. Kendall Graveman is now available. He has other big priorities in this offseason for the White Sox he must take care of. But because a replacement reliever is on his shopping list, he's getting it done now. I'm trying to think so. Uh, if we're trying to stretch this metaphor to cover last offseason, Liam Hendricks would be like some kind of organic produce. And Adam Eaton would be like a TV dinner and it would cost about the same. <laughs> the the way <laughs> so Adam Eaton <laughs> would be like a bag of carrots, right? You and Liam Hendricks is like the rack of ribs. Ah, I, I thought you were saying you like No, you're going to get the rack of ribs, but he gets Adam Eaton because the carrots he sees first in the aisle. So he, he buys the carrots. He puts the carrots in the cart. When if he just waited a little bit longer, maybe he finds a better deal later in the store, but he's already got the carrots in the cart. He's already got his right fielder. He doesn't have to worry about it. Ah, see, I'm not thinking of a supermarket sweep, but I was thinking like, you know, Hendrix would be because of <laughs> okay. just the, the most you can spend for something of a certain value. Like Hendrix would be some kind of like, you know, an organic head of lettuce, because no matter, you know, if you spend top dollar, you're spending, you know, seven, eight bucks, you know, for, you know, the, the amount you need for dinner versus like, if you're trying to get, you know, uh, meat for dinner, you could go top shelf, you know, you could go for the steak section, uh, but that might cost you, you know, 40, 50 bucks. So maybe just get TV dinners. And that's why I thought like Adam Eaton is like the, the cheapest solution to the most important problem or the most important item. Yeah. Whereas Hendrix is the best, uh, you know, best option for the least important <laughs> item. Yeah. Uh, Adam Eaton was a hungry man dinner and Liam Hendrix was the truffle oil. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there we go. Uh, I think, that, I think that's yeah. what we're talking about. But yes. And and you don't have a very good dish, in my opinion, because uh, I, I do not like either of those items. But I, <laughs> I I think the reason why the White Sox are signing Kendall Graveman is he wants to sign right now. Even though the White Sox have these other items they have to take care of, because he's available now and he's told teams he's willing to sign now, the White Sox are just going to go ahead and sign him before they got to take care of other matters. And that's what makes this weird is that Graveman is now going to be joining the White Sox because I'm assuming he's passing his physical. And as you mentioned, you still got Craig Kimbrell. Like maybe you give yourself some leverage uh, as soon as we understand what's going on with the Rocio Iglesias and Canley Jensen markets because, you know, they're still available as free agents. Uh, you don't have that much leverage until those two guys come off the market. Once they do, though, and someone like Kendall Graveman now is not available, well, then, yeah, the White Sox can maybe enhance the return they get for Craig Kimbrell. Maybe. But you do have this situation where, yeah, you've got about $43 million right now assigned to your bullpen. And huge chunk of that is going to Liam Hendricks, 
Craig Kimbrell and Kendall Graveman. And we'll see if all three are with the White Sox on December 1st. You brought up the, the point about like, you know, Han liking to sign players who are ready to sign. And that's basically how he ended up with Adam Eaton. Yes. Like Jock Peterson was dragging him along a little bit. And he said, no, we, we want to solve this. Even though like Eddie Rosario and, uh, you know, other right-handed or sorry, left-handed right fielders were on the markets. He just didn't want to, he didn't want to wait. He didn't want to play the game. He thought Eaton was, you know, Eaton at 7 million was as good as Jock Peterson for 10. And that turned out to be incorrect. So just that, that does, that does fit his MO with other positions at other times. So you can't rule it out. And you hope it's not the case where, you know, like Graven was just the first to want to get done. And so, you know, it, it's more of a matter of um, expediency rather than getting the guy they wanted. But, you know, given when it comes to relievers, the White Sox have paid top dollar for that reliever they've wanted. So I'm hoping it's a case where they like the player just happens to want to sign now. Um, it's a case where, you know, Graveman wants to sign now and, he might be that cheaper option to other closers, like you mentioned with, with uh, Jensen and um, uh, Iglesias. Iglesias, yes. So, like, when you have those two out there and, like, Graven just wants to sign, you may as well just take him off the market. So that doesn't necessarily bother me as much as long as they find a taker for Kimbrel, like they're signaling they want to. Yeah, this signing doesn't make a lot of sense unless you trade Kimbrel or... You want to have the most expensive bullpen in Major League Baseball. Yeah, if you're spending $190 million on a payroll. Right. Right. Because, again, this signing does not make sense unless you spend serious cash at second base in right field. And I'm getting this a lot as well on social media that this is a sign that the White Sox are willing to spend. Really? Please tell me you've been a White Sox fan for more than a season. Because there's also a part of me, Jim, that I kind of see a Kelvin Herrera type of contract here that the White Sox have signed with Kendall Graveman. There's been a lot of people who, during this past trade deadline, said, I don't want Adam Frazier because he's having a career year. Well, the White Sox are Mm -hmm. signing Kendall Graveman off a career year. And there are signs that maybe it wasn't a fluke, but he was not very good prior to 2021. He's a failed starter moving now into the bullpen. It's a similar story that Liam Hendricks has gone through, but Hendricks proved in 2019 and 2020, he is elite. We've got one Mm -hmm. year of Kendall Graveman being very good. We have one half with the Seattle Mariners where he was outstanding and then he was pretty good for the Houston Astros. And he did pitch well this postseason for the Astros uh, as they were making their way to winning the American League pennant and then ultimately losing the World Series to the Atlanta Braves. Uh, it, again, it, it is it's fascinating. It can be we, we may look at this differently as the White Sox enter spring training. And let's say they bring in a significant player to be at second base and or right field. And Graveman, if you had whatever order of operations you ideally wanted to do business in, maybe ideally he's the last guy you signed and he's the cherry on top of your offseason Sunday. But now, because he's ready to sign, you bought the cherries first before deciding what the flavors of ice cream you wanted to have on your Sunday. 
or TV dinner or TV dinner. <laughs> a lot of Curious food metaphors. This is the, yeah. this is the episode before Thanksgiving. So deal with the food metaphors, everyone. <laughs> yeah, I, I think with Kelvin Herrera, you know, I understand you know that's uh, a reference point in terms of salary because Herrera signed a, a deal that was worth nine million a year. But Herrera was coming off an injury. His stuff was diminished a little bit. The White Sox were betting that he would get, regain his stuff, and he never did. And I, and I think you know, uh, while uh, Graven's coming off a career year, he does have stuff he can point to, like a two-tick increase in velocity, a slider that he liked before he was sinker-cutter, didn't really miss bats. He's changed his breaking ball to be a true slider that is, is really a better complement to the sinker that he throws, especially a sinker that's uh, two miles per hour faster. So there is, in this case, a legit reason to think that he's better. Like, we still might not know exactly where he ends up. You know, he wasn't as good as he was at the Mariners, like a sub-one ERA. And I think the Astros, his time there included some of the regression that more or less evened it out. But I think the performance, at least, um, warrants it. You know, the, the, the averaging 96, 97, 7, 94 is big. And, and then having the you know, breaking ball that he likes, a go-to second pitch, I think is there too. So in terms of the ingredients, he has what you want for that role. Um, now it's just a matter of whether he fulfills that and whether the White Sox you know, can scout the talent and scout the talent all the way through. But at least on paper, at least on the baseball savant page, uh, this is a better situation than Herrera was. True, but when the White Sox signed Kelvin Herrera, like a month later, Manny Machado signed with San Diego. Yes. What I was getting at with the whole Kelvin Herrera is if the White Sox are willing to spend this type of cash on the bullpen, well, big things must be coming. Yes. And I, okay, never, I get you there. They they never did. Like that's for the White Sox fans saying that signing Kendall Graveman to this contract is a point that the White Sox are going to be serious about spending money this offseason. We have been down this path before and it was very recent and okay, so, it so never independent came. of Herrera's <laughs> results. Yeah, exactly. Okay, gotcha. I I I I would not say this is the move that signals the White Sox doing big things this offseason. I yeah, think I mean, we, need, yeah, we need to see what they do with Craig Kimbrell. Yeah, like well, I mean, like Yasmani Grandal, that was a signing, you know, a sign yes. that the White Sox were gonna do big things, and they followed that up with Dallas Keuchel. Yes. So good point. That I good think point. that's like you know, money uh money leads to money, I think, in this case. And and you know, as you mentioned, uh the Herrera and Eaton and so forth, all in the same Seven to eight million dollars, that's not quite money. And that was a need though. Yeah. Like the White Sox needed help at catcher. And and you know, there's the whole James McCann thing. But they really needed more left-handed power. Like and Yasmani Grandal served that. And like, OBP. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like this is a need and he fulfills that. I just don't know how big of a need is for a seventh and eighth inning guy right yeah. now. I mean, you know, that's kind of my argument against you know investing in liam Hendricks is that guys can seem to always be found right internally externally outwriting or waiver wires type activity like guys tend to show up at some point so that's why i'm not you know that impressed by it but it does fill a need and it can be proven to be you know a worthwhile move um but yeah, right now, just we're waiting for the order to shake out. And we'll we'll see in what that order is. So 
what's coming up next for the Chicago White Sox. Well, Jim and I are going to take a quick break. And after word from our sponsors, we're going to discuss what we think is coming up next for the White Sox before December 1st. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Sox Machine podcast as we continue the discussion about the White Sox signing Kendall Graveman. Now we go into the question of what's next after this signing. And Jim, I really got a strong feeling about this. And again, going back to the Eisenhower matrix, the top priority for the White Sox this offseason is you have to figure out what you're doing with Craig Kimbrell. They picked up that option. Okay, you need to find a trade partner for Kimbrell or you need to convince yourself that he's worthwhile to keep him. And then you got to figure out how you're going to use him in 2022 because you even said it yourself that you didn't like the way that you used him uh, when you acquired him from the Chicago Cubs. I feel like that's got to be the top, top priority. Do you agree? Do you think there's another priority the White Sox must address? It seems like it could be. When it comes to Kimbrell, I, I think you know he either ends up on another team based on two ways. One is that you know the White Sox just accept like an A-ball lottery ticket uh, and maybe kick in a couple million dollars and just uh, be done with it and say like, we were really intrigued in this guy and they might like, you know, uh, just let him go midway through the season and nobody cares. Uh, the other one is that maybe perhaps the White Sox do, you know, acquire somebody who just might cost money themselves and might 
take up a chunk of payroll that a team doesn't need, whether it's, you know, somebody's mistake or just whether somebody who's been, you know, running their course in an organization, but not quite uh, taking up the kind of salary that Kimbrell is. Either way, like I can see an exchange of contracts that maybe the White Sox can use better than the tr- their trade partner can and vice versa. Like maybe that trade partner uh, can make better use of Craig Kimbrell at the money he signed for than the White Sox can. So I think if it's that kind of deal, I can see that happening sooner just because that team might have their own, you know, either bullpen need to fill and salary to get off the books. And so that would make it a mutual need and, and mutual tidying up of ledgers, especially if there's going to be a lockout that kind of freezes transactions and uh, just has teams staring at their payrolls basically for weeks, if not longer. And that's why, and we'll, we'll talk about Philadelphia here in a moment. That's why I think the White Sox need a resolution on this before December 1st. It, it, this offseason is really weird already because we're seeing a flurry of activity, especially on the pitching front. In the month of November, but it's not the top end. It, it's it's the middle tier guys that are trying to find homes and maybe other teams backup plans. If plan A's don't, you know, go according to their timeline, uh, like Eduardo Rodriguez, I'm sure was teams backup plans if they were seriously interested in Robbie Ray and Carlos Rodon. Uh, but now Rodriguez is not available because Detroit jumped the market and there's also part of me that's like if Iglesias and Jansen don't have their situations figured out before December 1st, then I don't see on how the White Sox trade Kimbrel before December 1st, if that makes sense. Like, I, I think those two need to figure out their situations as far as signing, maybe returning both of them to Los Angeles with Iglesias going back to the Angels and Jansen going back to the Dodgers. Because if they don't, then the teams that need the closers still have their options open. And come December 1st, if they don't sign anywhere, then I, I don't know why you would trade for Kimbrel when you could just not give up anything and just go sign Iglesias or Jansen. Yeah, it's it's hairy. Um, that's why it's weird to talk about. Like, <laughs> Yeah, when, when we saw Kimbrel, what we saw of Kimbrel as White Sox fans, that's a very, I guess they can lend itself to be a very skewed perspective. Like we saw a guy who wasn't very good and, uh, you know, had problems with home runs and problems with strikeouts or or the strike zone and problems with wild pitches that gave up bases when he walked somebody. Like we just, we saw kind of the worst combination of all his flaws basically coalesce and turn into a reliever who was not quite unusable, but at least very delicate and, and very tense. Like it was just very fraught whenever he came to a game, everything it meant, like everything that inning meant. And even if he pitched a scoreless inning, like one, two, three, it was a temporary reprieve, but it was, uh, you know, it just could very well be undone by his next time out. So that's why I don't know if we're, you know, as White Sox fans, the best people to judge Kimbrel's market, because we just saw the worst. When he was with the Cubs, like the White Sox paid a hefty price with Nick Madrigal, but you know, Madrigal is also hurt. So when it came to what he could offer the 2021 White Sox, like it was a no brainer in terms of like, which guy's going to offer more? Well, Madrigal can offer anything. So you may as well, if you're going for it, it's kind of an interesting, creative, worthy go for it move. And it obviously didn't work out. But when you look at just how the deal was assessed at the time and how 
you know, even independent valuators were saying, oh, it's aggressive, but Kimbrell's worth it. It would seem to me like there's got to be a market for him at some price. You know, it depends on how much the White Sox kick in or how much the White Sox take back. But that's why I just, I find it hard to separate what I saw from what could very well be out there. Mike Petriello of MLB.com uh, had this tweet and he tweeted out, what's the funniest now the Chicago White Sox would trade Kimbrell to for a second basement bit? And he listed off the teams to Tampa Bay for Taylor Walls, to Toronto for Kevin Biggio, to the New York Mets for Robinson Cano. And then he ends it, oh no, it's to Philadelphia for Gene Sakara, isn't it? It is. And that has been very popular, a possible swap of Craig Kimbrell to Philadelphia and Gene Sakara to the White Sox to play second baseman trade idea. And while Gene Sagara is scheduled to make $14.85 million to the player payroll in 2022, and Kimbrell is at $16 million. So for those that are doing the math, hey, the White Sox would be saving a million dollars. Sagara has a club option for the 2023 season at $17 million with a $1 million buyout. In that deal, if the White Sox, let's say Segura doesn't oppress them and the White Sox don't want to spend $17 million on Segura, then that type of trade would actually save the White Sox just $150,000 money-wise. Uh, but they would have a second baseman uh, for the 2022 season in Gene Segura. So with that hypothetical trade idea, Jim, is that something you would be on board for? Uh, I, I don't mind the player like Segura is fine. And, and if, you know, he were already on the team somehow, like say if he came over in the Cesar Hernandez deal or something like that and, and played better than he, Hernandez did, like played with the White Sox, like he did with the Phillies and he were on the books for that money instead of Kimbrel, you know, I guess taking the place of Kimbrel on the roster, if he were already there, you know, you'd be fine with it. But yeah, it is it is a little bit weird <laughs> just to go from having a, a cost-controlled second baseman who was on that kind of pace for a four-win season like Madrigal was. And, and one interesting thing, when I was writing my post on Sox Machine about the Bill James handbook um, and just the data found in there, like one of the interesting things I found, I didn't include because he's not on the White Sox anymore, but Nick Madrigal, you know, one of his flaws in 2020 was that he was a terrible base runner and in the handbook had him at nine bases below average. Uh, this year in 2020 or 2021 before the injury, Madrigal was nine bases above average. Wow. So he already kind of closed that gap in his game. So maybe the defense would have been next and maybe he would have been fine. You know, I think with Madrigal, the bigger question is just whether he can hold up, like whether he, his, you know, max effort, his needing every bit of physicality he has to be above average, whether that just holds up when he has one significant injury after another every season. Um, and, and that's my bigger concern. But it, it does seem like a little underwhelming to end up with uh, Segura taking up that much money when, you know, he had Madrigal and he thought he was going to be the, the future and then he wasn't. And then he had Hernandez and he thought he would buy you that year at a reasonable cost and then he didn't. So it just feels like the White Sox are paying more and more and more for pretty much adequacy. Uh, on the other hand, like Segura, like, you know, he was a 
a 4-1 player. He can get on base. He can run a little. Like he, I think he plays pretty. Uh, you know, I'm looking at his defensive stats at second base. Yeah, pretty good. You know, pretty good defense at second base. Um, and, and the White Sox have been. They, they were one of the worst teams at second base last year. So I can see it helping. Um, but it would be a little bit underwhelming to have to keep spending a lot of money for somebody who just might be average. <laughs> that's, I think, the, the part that's tougher to swallow, even if it does like represent an improvement on the depth chart. I wonder, in this hypothetical situation, if Dave Dabrowski would say no to Gene Segura, but say, hey, if you want to make this type of swap, how about Didi Gregorius? I'm sorry, I can't even say that without laughing on uh, just how terrible situation that would be. But I mean, you're talking about a closer that's paying that's getting paid sixteen million dollars. That was not very good for the White Sox. For a middle infielder, that was not very good for the Philadelphia Phillies, and he's making like fifteen plus million dollars. Uh, I, I would not be thrilled with that type of trade. Are you on the DD Gregorius bad wagon? Not unless the Phillies are throwing in money or somebody else. Yeah. I could see like him. I could see Gregorius improving the depth chart to where like, I wouldn't entirely dismiss it, but it would not be the even up swap that Segura would be, which would be fine. And he would have to move to second base. I mean, he's been shortstop. Mm Mm-hmm pretty much his entire career with Arizona, New York, and now Philadelphia. I just, the whole Gene Segura thing, I, you know, from what I read, those that covered the Philadelphia Phillies, everyone that covers the Phillies, they want to keep Segura. Yeah. I so mean, I, there, there's some confusion from Philadelphia perspective of why do we want to give up our second baseman for a closer like that doesn't make a ton of sense and that's that's what that's the vibe I'm getting from those that that cover the Phillies yeah I mean Gregorius was a mess last year Alec Baum was kind of a mess um and then Scott Kingery has just been a uh really a disaster since he signed his extension so they have far worse problems in the middle infield so I think that's probably you know why Segura doesn't seem like even if it might be like an inefficient contract or maybe not the way you'd want to spend $14 million or so when second basemen have come pretty cheap in recent winters, uh, based on the peers around the Philadelphia infield, yeah, Segura is looking great. So that's why, you know, right. that's another reason why, like, um, you know, it's, I think Gregorius would be like the more likely player to start with and then just see like what the appetite is for throwing in money or other players. Yeah, because the idea is to punch a hole in the middle infield for Bryson Stott, to, who's one of their top prospects, to enter in the picture for the Phillies in 2022. That's that's the idea here of, hey, Phillies, you need a closer. We're going to do you a favor. Send over Gene Segura. We've opened up a spot for Bryson Stott. But from a Philadelphia perspective, they want to keep Segura because he's actually good. How about you take someone that's not good in Didi Gregorius uh, and Stott could go play shortstop or we can move Segura over back to shortstop where he played for the Milwaukee Brewers and the Seattle Mariners and the Arizona Diamondbacks and then Stott could play second base or they could still swap and Segura still at second and Stott plays his natural position uh, at shortstop. 
I, I, I'm skeptical if that would to actually happen a Kimbrel for Segura trade. And I'm sure a lot of White Sox fans have no interest in Didi Gregorius. And I totally understand why. So the trade would have to look a bit different from Philadelphia, but now you got rumors coming in that maybe the New York Mets are interested and maybe the Yankees or Boston Red Sox are interested. I I just think that's that's mostly smoke to enhance as far as the market for Craig Kimbrell. I, I'm still pretty sold on the fact that if the Phillies can't land Iglesias or Cantley Jensen, if they both decide to stay in Los Angeles, then the Phillies are the natural destination for Craig Kimbrell and I'm hoping some type of deal gets struck before December 1st. So that's Kimbrell uh, and Ken Rosenthal tweeted out uh, late November 23rd uh, that there's been a change as far as the tender deadline and this makes sense. Uh, Ken Rosenthal tweeted that Major League Baseball and the Players Union have agreed to move the tender deadline from December 2nd Uh, to 8 p.m. Eastern on November 30th. This way, arbitration-eligible players will not be in contractual limbo. A player who gets non-tendered will have the ability to sign with a new club before the lockout begins. Jim, I find this to be significant news because the free agent market could grow. We can see a flurry of activity late November 30th all the way to 11 p.m. Central Time on December 1st where many players want to find a home. They don't want to be without a home during the lockout, which we do not know on how long the lockout is going to be. Uh, So this decision between the league and the players union, I think is going to create another frenzy after trying to figure out what to do with Craig Kimbrell. What's the next move here by the white Sox, And does this possible new frenzy between November 30th and December 1st, is this a way for them to get involved? Uh, I don't know. I mean, like just when it comes to the white Sox, uh, you know, they've basically resolved all of their, uh, tender non-tender issues with what they did in uh, you know earlier in the month because they they you know sent uh, or they they outrighted you know Evan Marshall and Jace Fry and Jimmy Cordero and Brian Goodwin like all those guys were um, basically knocked off when they were the will they won't they of the non-tender list so yeah I don't know how many teams have done the same like you know perhaps other teams have addressed their non-tender pool or their their bubble as aggressively as the White Sox have you know maybe the White Sox I would say this like maybe the White Sox um, addressed their group of you know bubble players as aggressively as they did and then when you look at the 40-man roster only adding Jason Billis and uh, was it Bennett Sosa yeah, Ben Souza. Yeah, Ben Souza. I was going to say Anderson Severino, but he was added beforehand. Um, but yeah, Ben Souza and Jason Billis, um, you know, and, and leaving guys like Cade McClure and Carlos Perez off, like they have theoretically left a number of spaces open to act quickly if the, you know, if they're happens to be some player of interest who shakes out in the, you know, the non-tender craze or the if that happens to be a craze or or what have you so it does seem like the White Sox have made themselves some room to act quickly before a transaction freeze they don't have to worry about trying to 
uh, shimmy a player out or, uh, you know, try to, you know, wonder if, if the uh, player will go through waivers or whether like a waiver process will get hung up for weeks, you know, if it doesn't, um, you know, clear through the transaction freeze. So uh, right now they're in a position to add. So, um, you know, whether teams have addressed their own bubble as aggressively as the White Sox are and the pool won't be that interesting. That's one thing I'm unclear about. For the players that are arbitration eligible and we are assuming are going to be tendered, what about the teams like Oakland and Cincinnati that have these starting pitchers and players that are in are still in their arbitration years? Do you foresee any activity or pickup in activity on that front before December 1st? I would guess not. I, I would guess that... Um when it comes to arbitration and compensation for players in that situation, um, I honestly, I, I can't, I can't say for sure, you know, whether players will get paid more or less, but it would seem like the pre arb players are the players who have like the most to theoretically gain or lose when it comes to when they might hit free agency or how much they'll be paid before arbitration years. Uh, I think for like, you know, if, if you're talking about a case like Luis Castillo or somebody like that in, in that you know, Chris Bassett, that range of player, mm-hmm. Frankie Montas, that they're already going to get paid quite a bit. So, you know, whether they get paid a little more, you know, whether they go from, you know, say a $8 million projection to 10 million, like it, it does matter. That's significant. Uh, that's a sizable percentage increase, but it also, you know, like you generally know what percentage of payroll you're going to devote to a player like that. So my guess is that their market wouldn't be, as affected, and if it were, then perhaps it'll signal that there is some kind of big change coming to players in that arbitration range, and perhaps those you know players won't be grandfathered into the old system. But uh, I haven't seen anything to that extent saying that uh, there's going to be some kind of major overhaul. The things that I've seen being the biggest point of conflict is just how to you know first of all like you know how to get to free agency, and then you know how to define arbitration or uh, how to pay, pay players before arbitration um, in order to pay them better. But it would seem like the Montas, Castillo, Bassett type players are already in that sweet spot where they're going to be making a fair amount of money before free agency either way. Sure. But I was looking at it from the perspective of Oakland and Cincinnati. Do we want to be on the hook paying these guys before the lockout? Or do we want to find new homes for them and have this settled before a new CBA is agreed upon? Uh, I, I just think when it comes to, you know, given that players are only paid during the season, it doesn't seem like cash going out right now. Although, you know, with Wade Miley just getting waived basically and uh, Cubs picking him up for $10 million for the kind of year Miley had, $10 million for Wade, one year of Wade Miley seems fine. There is that precedent to say that, hey, maybe, you know, that kind of range of salary is consequential. But I, I for whatever reason, I just don't have a great feeling or, or a great sense that uh, um, those players are going to be uniquely affected in how they're compensated. And so I wouldn't feel that teams would want to get the best return for that player. You know, perhaps I'll put it this way. I could see if, if there's one thing that could affect maybe the trade market for those players, it's if there are some agents like Scott Boris, perhaps talking about, you know, uh, his, his uh, crop of clients saying that when, you know, should there be a lockout and should there be, you know, late January, something like that, should the transaction freeze thaw? 
you could have like a flurry of activity. And so like just all the focus is on free agents and, and landing them and striking deals. So the trade candidates kind of more or less fall to the back burner and maybe teams start to sweat a bit more. So maybe that's the one thing I can see adding pressure to teams to deal earlier when it comes to just the money they'll be compensated. Um, I don't see that changing enough. So maybe that's perhaps, uh, is that what you're thinking or perhaps getting at? Yeah. My, my thinking was if Oakland has made up their mind because ownership has said we need to cut payroll, then if they can't, if they know they're not going to be able to keep these players because of payroll restrictions, I wonder if there's going to be ownership pressure to make decisions on these guys before the lockout begins, or maybe front offices can convince ownership, give us the first half of the season. If we're contending, we'll keep going. But if we're out of the race by July 1st, or if it looks like we're not going to be able to catch like in Oakland's case, we're not going to be able to catch Houston or Seattle or the angels in the American league West. If it doesn't look like we're going to make it to the postseason, then we'll try to unload Sean Mania and Chris Bassett will be very popular at the trade deadline. Maybe move Frankie Montas and teams can take on their salaries. We're only on hook on the hook for 50% of their salary in 2022. I just don't have a good feel right now where organizations are or where the thinking is for some organizations. Obviously we are seeing some teams being very active already, especially like the San Francisco giants, because they have a lot of work to do in rebuilding their starting rotation. They're not going to wait until after the lockout. Uh, They've already signed a couple of starting pitchers and it sounds like they may try to sign another starting pitcher uh, before December 1st. And they're really not going for the top end guys right now. They're, they're living in the mid tier section. So that that's why I'm like, we have, it's interesting because we have different mentalities of front offices. Again, you know, harking back to the Eisenhower matrix matrix, some teams I think are just really focused on their number one priority list. And they're not going to move to number two on the list until they resolve number one on the list where other teams, they have this shopping list. And once things become available, they're just going to make that signing because it's, it's another thing they can scratch off in the shopping list. And I, I, I don't know the situations with Oakland, Cincinnati, I, I find them to be the most intriguing right now as we inch closer to December 1st, Jim, because if these two if these two teams truly do not believe they are going to get 10 next year and they want to unload on payroll, boy, that's five really intriguing starting pitchers on one to two year deals that I could see a lot of teams calling about. Yeah, I, I can maybe see that, but I, I don't have a strong sense either way just because it would seem like they're really good pitchers on one to two year deals. So you don't want to shortchange yourself by feeling like you have to get a deal done. So, right. Unless there happens to be like a trade partner who is equally inspired to get that one to two year pitcher, the way the white Sox were with Lance Lynn. Hmm. Perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps like the, you know, the partner does line up to where like, they want to get something done, uh, a team like Oakland wants to get rid of a salary before like perhaps a flood of free agents, uh, late signing, uh, overwhelms what they have to offer and what they can maybe get. So 
Perhaps, but I think uh, it would seem like they would still want to get the right talent back because, you know, there is no, I think, immediate financial pressure to get out from under them. It's not like they're paying them during the lockout or anything to where it's money being spent now. So when I asked this question a couple of weeks ago after the GM meetings, recapping those meetings, uh, I asked, what do we think the next move is by the White Sox? Uh, we did not have Kendall Graveman uh, as far as our prediction. Mm-hmm. I thought the White Sox would trade for a starting pitcher. I believe you said that the White Sox would sign a backup catcher, which, by the way, that market is pretty much non-existent now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's why I thought they might sign, just because the pickings were slim. So, alas. All right, so after the Kendall Graveman signing, what do you think the next move is for the White Sox? Maybe it is the Kimbrel deal. It has to be, right? Yeah, it would seem just based on the amount of smoke and, and Graveman arriving, like it would just seem to point to like, well, we have an idea for this guy. Do you think it gets done before December 1st? I'll say yes. Yeah, I, I've got that gut feeling too. Maybe something happens this week. Maybe we have breaking news on Black Friday or over the Thanksgiving weekend. Maybe as Rick Hahn is carving the turkey, he gets a text message that says deal accepted and he's got to step away from Thanksgiving dinner and, and do business. <laughs> Severs his finger. <laughs> oh, that'd be a great story. Yeah. How'd you get that cut, Rick? Well, you see, I got a text message that says the trade went through and uh, I cut myself. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I, so right now, Jim and I are going to agree and say the next move by the White Sox is that they find a trade partner for Craig Kimbrell by December 1st. We were way off last time. Maybe we'll get surprised again uh, in this upcoming week uh, because right now it just doesn't seem like either the league or the Players Association is going to have a new CBA ready before the December 1st deadline. And on December 2nd, when many of you wake up, uh, baseball will be in a lockout and all league league activity uh, will stop. All right, so let's not talk about that. That's next week's problem uh, for everybody that covers baseball. Uh, with it being the Thanksgiving Day holiday in the United States, uh, I figured this would be a good time, Jim, to share what we are thankful for uh, this past year. And uh, would you like to start with an item on your thankful for list? Well, you know, I'll start with the uh, wonderful supporters we have that make this possible. Uh, I think that's the most natural place to start for the Sox Machine podcast is saying thank you to the people who support us on Patreon and support us uh, for listening and sending questions and reading the sites. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's great that we can do this and keep growing. And yes, thank you. Yes, we surpassed half a million listens and downloads again. This calendar year, uh, we set new download records in July and in October. Amazing what happens when we're talking about a good White Sox team. Uh, And in 2020, we didn't have much baseball in the month of July as we were leading up to the COVID season. Uh, So thank you so much for you guys continuing to listen as this is our eighth season podcasting about the White Sox. And we are preparing as the calendar flips into January here soon. We'll be entering our ninth season podcasting about the Chicago White Sox. And we have over 500 Patreon supporters, which is awesome. And it helps 
keep things running on SoxMachine.com and in the podcast. Uh, an item I like to add as far as the thankful list, Blue Wire. Thanks to them, there's new opportunities coming our way. It helps Jim and I to continue running Sox Machine, or it helps Jim continue running Sox Machine full-time, me pretty much doing this part-time now, uh, which we all benefit from. And it'll help both the site and the podcast. So big thanks to Blue Wire for bringing us onto their network. Did you have another th- item on your thankful list, Jim? Oh, uh, yeah, but it'll hold off for now. Okay. Uh, another item. Uh, thank you for the White Sox for being good in 2021. <laughs> that <Yeah>. helps things. <laughs> and uh, for being, uh, you know, really interesting and, and had an exciting season. And I know it had a sour end to it, losing to the Astros. Uh, but things are looking up for the White Sox. Uh, on a personal level, my fiance Kim, she doesn't listen to this podcast often, but just in case if I get hit by a car and she finds this episode wanting to hear my voice again, uh, it's been a crazy year buying a house together, getting engaged and thank you to Kim for helping me survive the pandemic. And I can't wait to see what the future holds for us. She also just got promoted. So next time you see her or interact with her on Twitter, tell her congratulations on the new title. And that's my yes, thing. Congrats. Yeah. Uh, congrats. And yeah, it's been a big year. It's been a, uh, yeah, it's a lot going on and yeah, I'm thankful for the support I have on my side with, uh, my wife and, and, uh, also thankful for you and all the hard work you do keeping this going. I know what the, the podcast is, uh, your brainchild <laughs> and uh, and you're always constantly innovating and, and, and coming with ideas and, and taking my ideas and making them better. So yeah, thanks for all your work. And uh, we'll also have some big stuff to announce in the uh, near future. Can't quite say it yet, but, uh, and then I'll be thankful for that as well when I finally can. Can't wait. I can't wait. Hopefully that teases you guys and wondering, oh, what is that news? You're just going to have to wait. You're just going to have to wait. Well, that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. We hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday and enjoy time with your friends and family. We'll have a new Sox Machine Podcast coming your way soon as Dan Saborski from Fangraphs.com will join the show to share the 2022 Zips projections for the White Sox, really focusing on the core players for the White Sox. And again, some conversation about right field and second base. But thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. If you enjoy our work and want more, as we mentioned, we have over 500 Patreon supporters and you can be one too at patreon.com slash Machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content and they get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. We have monthly plans starting at $2 a month, or we have annual plans that save you 9%. So if you enjoy your work and want more, go to patreon.com slash machine and sign up today. If you just discovered the Socks Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the Socks Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire podcast network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.